Welcome to KC Corner, episode 73. I feel like we're running out of numbers uh, in athletes with these. These are like offensive linemen, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe a couple exactly. hockey players or something. Exactly. No one knows these numbers. <laughs> Should we go to Roman numbers? Roman yeah, exactly. Numbers? That, that may be, be a little easier. Michael Orr from Blindside, he was probably in the 70s he or something. probably in the 70s. <laughs> Big old offensive line guy. That's right. Is he still playing? I think so. We'll have to consult Google on that. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, but 73. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you're just delivering some sad news to me that mm-hmm. your outdoor out or outside TV, if I can talk, has died. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you put a TV outside, you always know how long is this thing going to last. You always wonder that reality. And that thing's been fantastic. How many great events have we <laughs> oh, seen? Oh, yeah. Summertime watching baseball in the pool, winter watching bolts out back with a fire. It's so true. And, you know, it, for it to give up the ghost, when we realized it didn't work anymore, was when we went out to kind of have this celebration with the bolts uh, mm-hmm. in the pool. Couldn't get it on, so we just jumped in the pool instead. So what in the world do you do? (laughs) So this is first world problems, right? Yes, it's definitely first world problems. The second TV isn't working. (laughs) Exactly, the one outside. Oh my goodness, (laughs) we're such nerds. Yes, indeed. Hey, and the uh, the Open Championship begins tomorrow. Yeah, are you going to wake up at three a.m. and tune in? But uh, you know, I think it's always interesting that they call themselves the Open Championship, not like the British Open. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're the only one. Yeah, and. uh, at the end, when they hand out what, what's that trophy? The uh, the something jug, claret jug. jug. The, yeah, 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 yeah. They uh, they say, uh, and now the champion golfer of twenty twenty one. You know, it's like this is the only tournament. Mm-hmm. But it is. They're they're very selfish with that. That's true. <laughs> and you know, it doesn't make as good a TV because mm-hmm. I think the courses would be really cool, but they're not nearly as pretty. You know, mm-hmm. usually they're brown. Yep. You know, and yep. it's a, you got to be at ground level to see all exactly, the little rolling hills. Exactly, and, and get in those pot bunkers. You know, and things mm-hmm. like that. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, yeah. we can go back to this Sunday. Uh, public worship and gender roles. Super hey, easy, easy sermon easy you had. Easy yeah. stuff. Yeah. It was awesome, and you know. Uh, uh, really, what I meant to say was a lot of stuff. And you, when you start a sermon and you start talking about um, like hermeneutics, how to understand the Bible, uh, it really took a little bit of a chunk of our time. And I think it's so important for us to to understand Scripture when you look at the big story of the Bible, when you look at, hey, what was their story? What was happening in the context with what, what I'm reading? Um, you know, how, how does this uh, really help bring light to what was happening? It's really important in both the Old and New Testament then you know our story and we can't let our culture just change all the rules uh yet at the same time helps us kind of understand that so i think there's a lot said brooks and i I felt good about what was said you know some of the things that i didn't say uh, are some of the handles Mm -hmm. like some of the terminology when it comes to understanding of the role of a woman in a church you know, there's there's kind of a, uh, I talked about this and I taught about this in the KC Essentials. And there's kind of a continuum where you could see, should a role, should it be just feminism where all the leadership role should be female and anything male is bad? Well, obviously that's not right. And on the other extreme, is it this patriarchalism where, you know, man should have all the leadership role and Every woman needs to be in submission to a, a man somewhere. Well, we see that that's not right either. So it really gives us like two options when it comes to roles of gender. Uh, is there's this egalitarian where there's no difference? You know, there uh, there's no difference between uh, the roles of male and female. Um, and whatever a male can do, a female should do. Whatever a female do, a male can do. It just doesn't matter. And a lot of big denominations have embraced that. And a lot of them you'll, will say, hey, you know, when Christ talks in 
I'm sorry, when Paul talks in Galatians 3 that there is in Christ neither, you know, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, a male or female, he has obliterated all of the roles. Um, and, you know, we live in a society that loves to obliterate any gender differences, any, any gender distinctions. But a real careful examination is that God created male and female in his image. Both are equal. They're, they're ontologically in their being. We are equal uh, before God, um, equal value, um, equal footing and standing. But God has given us different roles. And part of that is reflected in the fact that he created Adam first and then he created Eve. And no matter how you slice it, he created Eve from man and for man. And uh, But the story of God isn't complete without male and female. So I, I, I also, the role that I didn't say is this complementarianism. Complementarianism is where we land. And complementarianism, and again, you don't really need to know this, but I think the King's Chapel people would nice to know. If someone asks, hey, what's your view on, on women? I think someone can say, hey, we are complementarianism, uh, complementary uh, in our understanding that male and females are both created by God. Genesis 1 is going to make it very clear that we both bear his image, that we both were called to execute his plan. We have equal standing before God. But when you look at Genesis 2, you really you start to realize that there is an order to it and there's a different roles. And uh, uh, then you look at Genesis 3 in the fall, you'll realize that there's this headship that that although Eve, as we learned, was the first to be deceived, really that sin was pinned on Adam and uh, how he is the head. And how, as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are equals, um, there is a headship with uh, Jesus willingly submits. And so God has created genders to reflect who he is, to reflect his creative order. And because of that, the Bible tells us there's some order that we should have in the church, not outside, not in the public realm or in the political realm. Um, so really, I think I said a lot, and let me just land the plane with, with one other thing here, but let me summarize that was this complementarianism. I don't think I even used that word. I think I taught about it, but didn't use the word. And then I didn't have much time at the end for the really weird verse 15 that says that a woman, kind of, kind of says a woman should be saved, shall be saved through child bearing. You know, you're thinking, what does that mean? You know, that is on the surface. You first read that. It's like that. That sounds like nonsense. Um, there are some who interpreted that like get, there was a promise that they wouldn't pass away while they're giving birth. And we know that nah, that's not true. I mean, there's been too many sad stories. Uh, but really, I think, again, I, I mentioned it on Sunday and I didn't get a chance to talk about some of the other views. But I do believe, and again, it's not everybody believes this, but I do believe what that's being said, especially when it talked about Genesis 3 and being deceived, was the promise that through a woman's seed, a Messiah would come. And then we see in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, that that promised seed is is Jesus and and uh, through Mary. So mm -hmm. the story is beautiful. It makes sense. And and I, I love the feedback I've gotten. You know, I, I really... This is an important role. I mean, it's an important, important topic, I should say. This is a uh, an important discussion in the church. And this is a dividing uh, one. I hate it. Um, but where do we stand? Do we stand with culture? Do we stand with God's word? And we stand with God's word. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a weird feeling, Brooks. I feel like more and more we're going to be on the outside of culture. We're going to mm -hmm. be standing on the outside or we're going to be shut out or we're going to be shunned or 
or or maybe even some day down the road persecuted for for believing this stuff. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll kind of go back to the beginning, and I loved how you opened up with talking about hermeneutics and examining the Bible and how we interpret it, um, and how you said for us to be noble Bereans, to for us yeah. to do our own examination and not just be talked to the whole time. And that kind of led you into like the original audience of the story. Like you didn't just open the sermon up and dive straight into the deep end and start saying all these things. You gave all the background first, which was really important, obviously to know who Paul was talking to at this point. Well, you know, I thank you, Brooks. And I think uh, we watched the All-Star game last night. And if somebody who doesn't know anything about baseball sat down and watched with us, wouldn't it be great to give them some context mm-hmm. about what this is, you know, what is happening, how this emerged, you know, mm-hmm. what what they'll be watching. Um, and I think the context certainly provides a lot more understanding. So, yeah. And, I, you know, uh, I, I, I'd love for King's Chapel to be noble Bereans. Um a lot of people don't bring their Bibles. I mean, I think sometimes a pastor can shame people, like bring your Bible to church, you know. And uh, and I understand that we live in a day and age where somebody can grab that on their phone. I mean, it just the technology is there. Mm-hmm. But it would be great to have uh, have our people just kind of continue to go back to the Word and, and wrestle with it. Something about having a physical book there, get some ink under your fingers a little bit exactly. rather than scrolling the phone. It's so true. I, I love <laughs> Make it. your own little scribble notes off to the side. Well, and, and with that said, we were saying, well, bring your Bibles, but also King's Chapel is going to very soon be supplying pew Bibles. Yes, so I just saw there. them. <laughs> yeah, so that will be great so people can jump in as well. Before we completely move on, like you were saying at the end, it's incredible that our Savior was born a man, born of a woman, mm-hmm. and not just of other religions where they came came out of nowhere or, yeah, yeah. I don't or, even know but or the gods had a fight and something <laughs> came out or they got together and who knows or whatever mm-hmm. yeah. born just like us crying in the womb yeah or in the womb not crying in the womb <laughs> it could be crying in the room you wouldn't hear it and so uh, um, but you know it's it, it is beautiful and I love that born of a woman especially when it comes to Galatians 4 4 in the fullness of time you know God sent forth his son born of a woman and yet it's another head scratch. Like, what do you mean, born of a woman? Why? What does it mean? Of course, everything's born of a woman. But mm-hmm. really emphasizing the promise of Genesis three fifteen. Really emphasizing as well the virgin birth. And uh, again, oftentimes it's sneered at. Um, we think about what Keller talks about in this chapter with science. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, how can you have that kind of miracle? But the story crumbles without a virgin birth. If because if if Jesus is the result of Mary and Joseph uh, being together. Um, He's a sinner just like us, and he can't save himself, let alone the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need to have a pure seed, um, and it's got to be one that, you know, the Holy Spirit had a role in in a unique way. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So anyway, complementarianism. What I meant to say, there was a lot there, and I really love the response that people had from the congregation. I've, I've had several women tell me that they thought it was handled with dignity and respect and, and true to uh, to the scriptures. So to God be the glory. Always, always. Indeed. So how do you follow up that sermon this week? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, he's going to get into more nuts and bolts. Uh, chapter three, we jump into chapter three. And chapter three is really primarily going to be, especially in the beginning, uh, who are the officers? Who are the elders? What are the biblical qualifications for elder and for deacon? So we're going to separate those two. We're going to start off with elder. Uh, I think that there's a uniqueness with the elder role. Uh, following what we just taught, I think the elder uh, is, is a call to be a man, where the deacon role, uh, more of a servant, um, really could be both a male or female uh, role. And so, and it's a really tall order. I mean, I'll, I'll just give a little uh, 
uh, <laughs> intro to say, you know, it says that a, a elder should be above reproach. And you start looking at the qualifications. I, I have done it, Brooks, as a pastor. And there's times like, man, can anybody do this? I mean, you know, this is, this is, this is high. Asking a lot of these people. Exactly. <laughs> and it's people like your grandpa who's been an elder, you know, and, and uh, I think it well represents uh, Robbie Robinson. He's a, he's a great dude and, oh, yeah. and uh, a great man of God. But, you know, it's, hey, God cares so much about his church that he wants those who lead it to be the real deal um, mm-hmm. and to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to not be new converts, to, to really understand um, uh, their their doctrine and uh, so they can stand and so they could lead and so they could shepherd and do it with humility. So that's where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. For the flourishing of the household of God. Beautiful, Percy. What a nice little capstone there. Well done. So from there we can go uh, to chapter 6, Reason for God, uh, by Tim Keller. And this chapter... It's just another super easy topic. Yeah. Uh, chapter six, science has disproved Christianity. <laughs> you know, when it starts off with the chapter, I thought it was very interesting. It talked about how Darwinism gave uh, uh, atheism really some some credibility, some street crud. You mm-hmm. know, I never thought about that. That, that you know, hey, I don't believe in God. Well, what's your proof? And they thought, well, yeah, you know, it wasn't as intellectually as as stimulating to believe without this theory. And supposedly this theory gave them street cred. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, huh, I never thought of it that way. You know, I always thought this theory was something that ran countercurrent or, or, or right against Christianity. And, and uh, um, but let me start. And I, I really want to hear more from you on this, too. But. You know, the, the great thing about God is all truth comes from God, and He is the God of science, and we never have to fear. We don't have to fear that science is going to disprove God. And I think there's some categories like miracles that is talked about in this, like mm-hmm. how do we have miracles in a God? And and they, they come with a mindset that you can't. They come with a mindset that, hey, there isn't a God, so... Uh, there won't be miracles. Miracles are outside of what science can prove. Therefore, they're not real. That's a that's a worldview that's pretty closed, and uh, and that leads to some bad conclusions in my mind. Mm-hmm. And it starts all with creation. You know, if there is a creator God, then there is nothing illogical about the possibility of miracles. If he created everything out of nothing, he can definitely rearrange parts as he wishes. Isn't that the truth? And you know, it's interesting how even scientists have thought about creation, Brooks. And Mm -hmm. again, um, I I feel like I'm way outside my prey grade with this. (laughs) When I was in junior high school, back then when I went to school, we had junior high schools. We didn't have middle schools, it was junior (laughs) high school. And so... uh, but I got extra credit credit for my science class if I read, if I watched a TV show. And tell me you don't want to watch a TV show and get extra credit. <laughs> I mean, that sounds fantastic, right? And it was called The Cosmos. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Carl Sagan, a, uh, a scientist. Um, I think he might have gone to Cornell. Uh, but anyway, um, he, he came on and every week, every episode, it started the same thing. It says, uh, The Cosmos. All that was and is and all that will be. And it was it was right there, there is this like throwing down, this is what we believe. So here's the cosmos, all that was, all that is, all that will ever be. It was a closed box. It was eternal. And so that's how they got rid of God. So, you know, how did this all start? You know, where do we go? And they'll say, Oh, the cosmos has always been. So they they have they intellectually to me leap leapt over 
a lot of different things to mm-hmm. say. It always was. I mean, there we don't have to look for a designer. We don't have to look for why it got here. Let's just start with the premise that it's always been here. And therefore, we can box God out. Mm-hmm. Therefore, there's no need for God in this box. But then they start getting the, the, the Hubble telescope and other things. They think, uh-oh, you know what? There's a starting point to creation. There's there it, Creation has been... It's expanding. It's like a boomed out. You know, the the Big Bang theory mm-hmm. started growing, and I think when God speaks, it probably would be a Big Bang. And so they could see they could see that there was a starting point for uh, the cosmos. And if there's a starting point of the cosmos, okay, now you have to say what 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 caused it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really interesting to me that when and I, I don't feel terribly old, but the the, the scientific um, you know, embraced of creation in my day has been challenged and it's been thrown out. And uh, science had had a turn, had a pivot themselves when it comes to that. And, you know, if there is a creation, as you mentioned, uh, a starting point, mm-hmm. it really points to a designer and a creator. How, how do you look at our world and not see a designer and creator? Mm-hmm. And as I've started studying more, going back to creation, you know, it's just the starting point there at Genesis 1, it shows just how awesome and great and big our God is. Yeah. He created the everything, literally everything. And it kind of sets the scene from there and tells yeah. the whole Bible story, as yeah. you've kind of said. It's all one big story. So it, it just perfectly sets the scene in Genesis 1 that way. Yeah, and you, as you mentioned before we came on air, that, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, it, it not only tells us truth, it does it in a poetic way, you mm-hmm. know, and I think... Uh, you know, you, it can be interpreted rightly. Uh, were there a literal six 24-hour days? Uh, mm-hmm. Was it a time space? Is a the, the Hebrew word yom? I mean, does that day, is it like a, a is like an age, you know, the day of the Lord, so mm-hmm. to speak? That's more of a, an age and stuff like that. And, you know, did he create, um, how long did it take? Is it a, uh, we would look at that as a young earth versus old earth theory. And and I've gotten, I've, I've you know, it's easier to say young earth, uh, but it, in, it, as far as sticking to some of the scriptural stuff, but in old earth, um, it, it really could be. And again, that's past my pay grade. And I don't know how he did it exactly, um, but I know he did it. I know he did it out of nothing. Mm-hmm. I know he did it for his glory. Um, so all that to say, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 is a beautiful way to start the story, as you mentioned. But it doesn't, it's not a textbook. It's not a science book. I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't, he gave us a story. He didn't give us a textbook. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and he did it in poetry and in beauty and he did it in truth. So, and even with miracles, Brooks, you know, uh, I know that you had a thought about the miracles as well, but you know, when you think of Jesus's miracles, they were not only proving that he was who he says he was, they, he was showing us what will be. He was restoring things to the way that they should have been before the fall. He was taking away death and disease and, and sin and brokenness. Mm-hmm. And he was making all things new. Right. And he's still doing that. Yeah, he was saying that the, he healed the sick, fed the hungry, and raised the dead. They weren't just like magic tricks and turning yeah. things into things. He was, he was like you, what you were saying, renewing it how they should be. Yeah, and you know, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he wanted magic tricks. He mm-hmm. was like, hey, turn these... You know, turn catch yourself from this club. Yeah, exactly, or, or make this bread out of these stones. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, uh, so do magic tricks, and he's like, no way, I'm mm-hmm. not. You know, it's not the point. So, yep, his miracles are a promise of the world to come. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff, man. And then the final thing was uh, 
Keller kind of hit on was there's no reason defending like the creation story of it being literal seven days like we were talking about. It's not a central point of the gospel or anything. And kind of what you've preached on the last few weeks of you know, arguing amongst us and of side arguments, like it's all built on the gospel. And yeah. from there, you know, there's different theories of everything. Exactly. And, and, and again, it's not that we shouldn't have our own theory or whatever, study it. And I certainly have. And there's mm-hmm. been different times where I've wrestled more with the old earth, new earth, and what does Genesis 1 and 2 say? But the conclusion is God says it. It's an absolute beautiful way he says it. Um, and it reveals who he is and who we are. Beautiful stuff. And that's Beautiful all I've stuff. got this week. Good stuff. Hey, uh, we got, we this is, we have a little, a little Casey uh, King's Chapel um, stuff that's coming out is that be looking, we're going to be collecting school supplies uh, uh, for some foster kids. So be looking for that. Uh, we have on Friday nights, we have our 30 somethings uh, every, every Friday night. We're doing a different theme. It's going to be great. Uh, those of you who aren't 30, look for some stuff in, in August coming your way. And uh, it should be great, Brooksy. Good time oh, of yeah. year, my man. Oh, yeah. Great time of year. A little warm. Keep the summer going. <laughs> That's right. All right. <laughs> See you guys Sunday. Blessings, y'all.